Hello and welcome to Hag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're really excited. We're going to be talking about some of the late season scouting things. We're going to talk a little about sunflowers today, talk about what's going on right now in fields. And my goodness, if we got a pile of questions in the Ag PhD mailbag, we're going to try and get through as many of those as we can. So it'll be a busy show. As always, we'll have our phone lines open here, 844-44-AG-PHD, if you'd like to call in. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, with your agronomic questions. We'd love to hear from you. And also, uh, we'd love to interact with you on social media. We've got a Twitter account, AgPHD Media, also Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. So any of those spots, you can find us. Uh, where do you want to start today, Brian? we got a lot. Yeah, yeah, we do. I am, as always, really excited about the crop that is in the field and about our future potential on the farm. The big thing that I guess I would encourage everybody today is scout your fields. Things are changing dramatically almost every day, it seems like. So make sure you're checking for weeds, insects, diseases, any problem spots you've got on the farm. And it's one thing to see the problem spot. The next thing is, let's find out what it is. What's actually going wrong? And don't just assume, oh, it's just we had poor weather. Well, maybe that's it. But is it a nutrient deficiency? Do you need some better drainage in those spots? Darren was out looking at a field of ours. We had a few wireworms that hit it, even though we had insecticide both on the seed and in the furrow. Now, granted, not much problem, but could we do something more in those circumstances next year? We sure could, especially in corn-on-corn type situations. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can investigate on the farm, figure out what's going wrong, and make corrections moving forward because the whole goal is to continue increasing yields in the future. And it's going to be lucrative to increase your yields in the future when you look at commodity prices where they're at now and where I believe they are going to. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a second here. Uh, before we do, I just had one other quick thing. I know um, there there have been some, we've gotten a few questions about this, and I just wanted to let you know there is the Ag News and Rural Content Bill that is going before Congress, and that's something you can check out yourself if you get questions on that at rfdtv.com. So again, that's rfdtv.com. And the reason why this is out there is because there are a lot of people in rural America who are very concerned here in the United States that what we see and hear and watch in the media, uh, it's very biased towards cities as opposed to the rest of the country. So this is just simply a bill to say, hey, as a let's say, cable provider, you have to at least have some type of rural programming and rural offerings. It can't just be all urban-based. So anyway, again, you can go to rfdtv.com to learn more about that. It's the Ag News and Rural Content Bill. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Hey, Darren, the first one, this just came in. Uh, This is from Lloyd up in Alberta. And he says, I read with interest the article in your May-June issue of the Insider magazine entitled, Rapid Growth Syndrome is a Myth. Well, as an agronomist uh, working in southern Alberta, this article challenged me and got me thinking, uh, well, I'm going to pay closer attention to this in the coming weeks as the corn begins to elongate past the V6 stage and even 
pull tissue samples to find out what's going on. Well, anyway, here's his question. If in your case, so he's talking to me here because I'm the one that wrote the article, we had a zinc issue and another's possibly sulfur. Why does the plant outgrow this with the leaves turning green after two to three days of sunshine if these nutrients are considered immobile? Okay, so Lloyd, part of what happens out in fields is we have nutrient deficiencies that we don't see, and then the dramatic nutrient deficiencies we do see. As roots continue to get bigger, as plants get more photosynthesis and everything else, they will start to overcome some of these challenges, and also the greenness can start to come back, but you're still going to have yield loss. What we talk about all the time is making sure that not only do we not see a color problem, but we're, we've got enough out there of any nutrient, so we're, we're maximizing overall yield. And you can kind of prove this out to yourself. So let's just say, for example, like in our case, we had these yellow spots on the farm that proved out to be zinc, and it was especially on side hills, and this is years ago now. But we put zinc in some strips and in certain spots, and we did get yield gain the next year. And so that's really what I'm after. That's how I prove, okay, that really was it. Now, I can also see on the soil test I was low, on the tissue test I was low. So, I mean, the odds were obviously in my favor that I was going to gain yield. But anyway, uh, yes, you can get some type of recovery. And let's put it this way. If, let's say, there is some zinc out there that's sitting in another spot in the field and as those roots get bigger well now you can bring some of that zinc in and so maybe later you have enough zinc but we know for a few days you did not and part of the reason why you may not have again could be poor photosynthesis could be poor root growth could be waterlogged soils there are a lot of reasons the main reason for us is we just flat out didn't have enough zinc in that soil but yes you can see some degree of recovery even though we're, we've still lost yield. Yeah, lots of questions around. Lots of talk about that topic around the country. And the quick response is, oh, it's rapid growth syndrome. But There's no time, such thing as rapid yeah, growth Every syndrome. time we, we do plant tissue analysis, we see, wow, we're short in something. And that's what's showing up in these leaves. Okay, I uh, appreciate that question, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Uh, Got one from Scott. He said, we farm near the Four Corners in Utah, and we're, we're in a big rotation. Lots of different crops are raising for seed, including edible beans, wheat, sunflowers, millet, safflower, corn, oats, and much more. But I have grass control problems in my Indian rice grass. Wow, I don't know if there's any herbicide labeled for Indian rice grass uh, that, that's going to kill other grasses. The big thing that you're going to run into is you're in dry country there, so you're going to, if you find some herbicides that work, you're probably going to have to time them out and do you them want at to, different times. And again. you want to try to have the right nutrient balance and do everything right for any grass crop so it can choke out other grasses. Get it off to a good early start. That's usually the best thing you can do. Up against a break, we'll talk more about that right after this. Stay tuned. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. 
That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about Indian rice grass, and you look at a perennial bunch grass that doesn't require much moisture, but it's a bunch grass, Brian. So sometimes we don't get the coverage with with uh, a grass like that that we do uh, with some of the other grass crops that we see. Like compare it to wheat, for example, you don't get quite the crop canopy that you would. And that's kind of Brian was getting towards that in terms of weed control. The best weed control we've got is crop canopy. And the best way to do that with grasses that we're raising is to fertilize. And if we've got good grass growth out there, whether it's in our lawn or in our crop fields, we just don't have the weed pressure once we control that first initial flush. And Scott mentioned they're, they're hand-roguing because they don't have selective herbicide chemistry for that crop. And honestly, I don't know what selective chemistry there would be. I mean, we could try different things, but if, if they're not labeled, we can't really recommend them. But you can look at what other perennial grass um, herbicides are for, for annual grass control. Uh, like you talk about downy brome, you can look at some of the downy brome products for for wheat, for example. Maybe they would work and not kill the grass that you're in. But there just isn't much research that gets done on some of these crops that aren't on big acres. And that gets to be a little bit of a challenge. Hey, thanks for the question, Scott. Really appreciate that. Thanks for checking our show out, too. All right. Uh, we're going to talk a little about sunflowers today on a show among uh, several topics that we're getting to. And I, I think it's interesting on a year where... Growers didn't get as much corn in as they would like, and maybe even soybeans, or maybe they didn't think soybeans were going to make money. Our state is one of those areas where guys will flex and put in some sunflowers if they've got a contract and an opportunity to make a little bit of money. i got Charlie on with us right now. at farms uh, on the eastern side of South Dakota, but kind of kind out in the central part of that eastern uh, side. Charlie, how are you doing today? Maybe I didn't click the button right here. Sorry about that. Charlie, are you there? Yeah, I sure am. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good, good. Uh, is it a sunflower year on your farm? Or what, what's your crop rotation going to look like this year? Well, we are definitely down on the corn acres, as you just mentioned. Uh, we only we primarily no-till, and 
Yeah, we only got about 35% of our corn acres in. So we did have to flex over a couple fields um, to flowers, which I hadn't anticipated. But, um, yeah, with a lot of burn-down effort and uh, residual chemistry, we got some in. So. You know, you speak about the burn down. I think it was interesting. I was just talking to an agronomist traveling through our state yesterday, and he said, wow, I noticed as you head west, and he said, when you get to Mitchell and head west, the guys are way ahead on getting their burn down done and so forth compared to the guys further east. Have you got a go-to burn down mix that you use? Is it Roundup or is it something else? Well, on, on like I mentioned, some problem acres, uh, we had one field that we had to hit with Roundup and then come back a day later with uh, some zero shots at a high rate and then get get the, the flowers planted. And then actually, just as of yesterday, we hit it again because, like I said, we had some pretty tall weeds. Most of our burn downs did get done in time, um, but you generally Roundup um, with some addition tank mix or tea mix um, for some of the buckwheat and some of the smaller um, weeds. And then we also throw in some prowl at that time. So we generally like to do that, you know, a couple weeks prior to planting. And depending on, you know, how far in advance, we may throw a little 2,4-D or a little dicamba, but, you know, very low rates just to help kick with some issue weeds that may not be gotten with Roundup alone. You know, when you think about sunflowers as a crop, a lot of growers will talk about, man, they're a great scavenger crop, and they can be. They can definitely find nutrients that are out there, and they will draw down your nutrient load and soil tests, no doubt about that. Uh, but if you're fertilizing them, it's amazing the differences you can see in terms of uh, tonnage at harvest time. What what have you figured out that, that you need most for sunflowers? Is it nitrogen or is it something else? No, it's definitely nitrogen. In fact, SDSU had some studies in the last couple of years that show that added phosphorus really doesn't have that much of an added benefit to flowers. Um, but our phosphorus levels are, luckily enough, you know, at a you know, medium to high range. So, but we still add, you know, a, a low rate of starter fertilizer, 1034 We're in 20 inch rows, so we we're keeping it about two to three gallons an acre of actual fertilizer but then we're kind of spiking in some water and keeping us circulating the tanks and and uh, trying to get a good nice even stream amongst those 20 inch rows you know one of the big challenges uh besides birds which i don't really have the answer for but one of the big ones has been insects and i know the timing on that is is kind of fussy it seems like 2019 is becoming an insect year uh, what are you seeing out in your area seeing any hoppers or, or any other bugs that are starting to bother no, not not. Haven't really seen any hoppers to speak of. Um, like I said, we just got the flowers um, finished planting, so the early stuff, you know, most of it's emerged. The late planted, it, you know, is still probably going to be another day or two. Um, unfortunately, we had to had some situations where we were kind of fighting it in, so the planting conditions weren't ideal. So wherever we had any open trenches or where the seed slot didn't get closed up, you know, it's kind of like a little highway for insects to follow along. So, you know, there's a little wireworm, you know, activity, even though we do have some treated seeds. Um, that's kind of a little bit of an issue right now. Later on, I'm expecting more of the sunflower moths and seed beetles. 
Yeah, the wireworms have been bad in a lot of crops this spring. I think if you haven't gotten out yep. to uh, to do some digging in your fields, I'd, I'd strongly encourage, uh, just like Charlie is talking about here, that that everyone listening takes uh, takes a look. Because I was just out in a little bit of our corn and. Even where we're treated and using insecticide and all that, there's still a little bit of insect damage out there in areas just with the kind of year that we've had. You know, you think about this this wet, wet condition, and uh, honestly, Charlie, we talk to people all over the country, and they're like, what are you talking about? You guys are in South Dakota. You're supposed to be too dry, but not <laughs> no, not this year. I mean, it, it looks like a disease no. year, too. Are you, are you planning fungicide applications? Is that normal for you? Um, yes, in the flowers we do. Um, generally, we've got a good... And we raise confections, so we got specialty contracts. And I don't like to say it, but unfortunately, due to the contract nature, we are required to spray a fungicide and insecticide. It's not really economic thresholds levels. It is mandatory with okay. the flowers we raise. But, um, yes, fungicide treatments definitely do pay. We've seen that the last probably six or seven years. Um, so we may even do, you know, two shots if it's if it's looking that way and, and i'm kind of expecting that to happen um this year being that it's supposed to be cooler and wetter than normal so it doesn't take much rust out there to warrant a fungicide application no no and you know like you say some of this too has been well i wasn't anticipating on putting flowers in did any of it end up on soybean ground where you're worried about white mold too or is that not as much of a concern where you're at um actually white mold is rare um 2014 and 2016, we finally got to see what white mold is like. So we do have a few fields with that issue. We were about to pull a trigger on uh, a field of beans that we're going to go back to flowers, and I know that's an ultimate no-no, but fortunately I used enough dicamba for the corn burn down that was supposed to go in there that we figured it wasn't safe to pull flowers. So we had to do some shifting, but no, we haven't. Haven't done that. We did a few beans on beans, but, um, yeah, we otherwise, you know, we had some fertility down on some of the corn acres that was weak double last year that we were able to fight the flowers into. Well, we've certainly got some heat coming uh, this week and some sunshine. Hopefully that's just at the right time to perk up some of those fields where you're at, Charlie. I really appreciate yep. your time today. Thanks for thanks for uh, the conversation, and uh, and good luck here the rest of the season. Hey, thank you, Darren. Yeah, Charlie brought up some good points, Brian. Uh, this burn down. So let's start with the burn down. Uh, even trying to get coverage, some of these fields that guys have struggled to get into. We got big weeds. What What are your tips on that? About how do you do this so you don't have to go back there several times, or is there just no way around that? There's no way around that. You are not going to be able to get coverage when you've got three foot tall weeds, and this is the same thing we experienced back in 1993 when we saw this amount of prevent plant acres in our region here. Millions of prevent plant acres, weeds three feet tall. By the time we get to the Fourth of July, and that's when guys wanted to go spray, or when they were finally able to get back out there and spray. And I guess what we did back then was a lot of cortigramoxone, cord of 2,4-D, cord of crop oil, and that burned down most stuff and then guys went in and did tillage so if otherwise got to go back and spray again in you know maybe a week to two weeks something like that just to keep stuff down and we really suggest using a cover crop as well well stay tuned we've got more ag phd radio coming right up If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. 
Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At SideDress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever. But disease can stand in the way, like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today and talking about sunflowers. Got our friend Ryan Hunt up in North Dakota on. He's with FMC and has lots of knowledge to share today. Ryan, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. I want to go fast. I want to talk about bugs. I want to talk about weeds. I want to I want to help guys out here with sunflowers. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, let's start with the bugs. What are you looking for when it comes to uh, uh insects in sunflowers and what what kind of timing are you targeting for guys to be out there sure so you know we're kind of past that early season stuff where you might be running into some cutworms and wireworms and whatnot you're talking about your little pregnant past the points where those are an issue but uh coming up here you know uh you got some probably gonna have some sunflower moths migrating in and then probably the emergence of some seed weevils so you know that those sunflower moths tend to show up Early to mid July, um, that the larvae on them end up usually hatching and 
start tunneling in July and August. So you're looking at like that R1 to that R51 to 53 stage for a spray application when they're really doing damage, keep those things out of there. You know, and if they're finding one to two adults per head when those things are blooming, that's when you want to make sure you pull a trigger on that. Um, whereas the seed weevil, kind of the same time frame, late June, early July, so right around now, maybe a little later this year with everything getting in late, but you know, that's when they tend to start showing up. And then, you know, a typical spray time for that is when about 30% of the plants are blooming right at that R5.1. Um, and then you're trying to keep those out of there, keep them from laying the eggs and damaging those flowers. But those are kind of your two key things that are going to be coming up here for insects in the near future. You know, I've got a lot of guys that like using the pyrethroids. They like that the, the cost is pretty low. They can mix them with a lot of different things they might be doing out there. But there's some difference there between something like a bifenthrin product and uh, some of the second-generation pyrethroids, like a Mustang Max, for example. So when do you when do you pull the trigger and, and utilize different products? Yeah, so, you know, the big thing is going to be just there's a ton of different pyrethroids to use. Um, some are labeled for sunflowers, some aren't. So that's going to be the first thing, is making sure you got one that's labeled. Um, you know, and then like the Mustang Max that is a newer generation, basically the molecule is a lot lot more cleaned up. It's a lot easier to use. It's actually just safer for you. Um, there's a lot of people that can't handle some of those generic products, have quite a bit of stink and get some sick, or some of these newer ones you might pay a little bit more for, but you can have a lot less issues, you know, just people's skin reacting to them and whatnot. Um, and then they're just more active on the plant. You get some good residual with them as well. All right. You know, you got, you got the insects under control, and that's great. Uh, this year we're also expecting to see more disease pressure. We're expecting to see, um, uh, you know, a lot of weeds popping up out there just because of the way the year has played out. It's probably going to be even worse of an issue because they're popping up a little bit later. Uh, you've got new fungicides out. Do you have anything that's labeled in in uh, sunflowers specifically? And then when it comes to weeds, lots of different weed control systems, if you want to talk about that too. Yeah, you know, so we at FMC don't actually have any fungicides labeled for uh, sunflowers. And there's, you know, sunflowers being a minor crop, there's not a lot of different fungicides. Um, typically, that rust and whatnot um, and, and a zoxystrolin product is what's being used the most. Um, we have been looking in, we're working on getting some products like our Top Guard potentially labeled, but that won't be for a while. Um, but, you know, like with sunflowers, that rust is uh, going to be the big thing to watch out for. Uh, and then with the, wheat, with the weeds, you know, um, hopefully the key with key of the sunflowers, like any crop, is getting a good solid pre-down. So hopefully those are working. Should have got rain on them, I would guess, the way things have been going. Um, but, you know, weeds are going to keep coming. Um, if they've got, if they're fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be growing oil seeds and they got a like a clear field or an express sun, you know, keep an eye out there for uh, any broadleafs coming. Those, uh, your Beyond or your Express will do a good job on any of the, you know, like your Canada thistle, um, some mustard species, whatnot. Uh, if you got any, like, red root pigweed in there sort of thing, kosher, you're probably out of luck. Um, hopefully you got that early, but the other the other later broadleafs. And then there's always going to be grasses probably, so... You know, keep an eye out of that and, 
you know, you can come in with like one of your group ones and like a selector and a sure two and clean those out. Yeah, there's so many things going on in sunflowers. And I think uh, we kind of take for granted all the things that we're doing in some of these crops. Like, oh, yeah, I raise corn every year and here's how I do things. And I know what to do and when to do it. If you're flexing more acres to sunflowers this year, there there is a management tool here. And we see huge differences where some guys are happy if they get 1,500 or 2,000 pound flowers. But I know a lot of farmers out there now that aren't happy if they don't get close to 3,000 pound flowers or better. So it's totally possible. Uh, I've been talking with Ryan Hunt with FMC about quite a few different management tips here in terms of weeds, insects, diseases that you really need to take into account for your crop this year. Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yep, thank you. Have a good day. You know, Brian, uh, we covered a lot of bases there, and uh, and we're getting so many questions in, too. Uh, another mailbag question that came in was from Josh. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm speculating on what I'm seeing here. I've got on sweet corn, I've got leaves that are completely discolored, I'm pulling soil tests now, and I could send in plant tissue tests too. Where do you go when you have just some strange-looking things out there, and have you ever seen anything like this before? Go ahead. What did you think? Uh, well, I handed you the picture, so yeah, I unfortunately know. I didn't get a great look. You know, what we've got is basically purpling from the outside edges coming in, and he believes he's got a nutrient deficiency out there. I don't know if we're looking at a bottom leaf or a top leaf, it's hard to tell there. It looks to me like that may be an upper leaf, and that would seem strange for phosphorus. Now, there could be some ALS herbicide injury. That sometimes will cause it. Also, uh, purpling can be a buildup of sugars, so there could be insect damage. There could be the leaf had partially broken off. We see that pretty often. I mean, just from one picture, I, I can't tell. It's not descriptive enough for me, so I don't know for sure. But usually when you have some issue like this, I, you're doing the right things. Do tissue tests, first of all. And also, tissue test the bad-looking stuff and tissue test some other plants that look great. So you have some comparison there. Do some soil tests right in those spots. And then just general field evaluation. Sometimes you get to a field and you could take, let's say, uh, a drone up. Or just even standing there looking, you can see a pattern of something going on. But unless you're in the field, it's, it's hard to say in a lot of cases. So if I don't have the data of tissue test or soil test and I'm not standing in the field... You know, I don't know if, okay, so I want to come back to, Darren said right away, purpling. Usually with the lowest leaves of the plant, when we see purpling, that's phosphorus. But we don't typically see purpling on other leaves and especially upper leaves when uh, we get a little bit later in the season. If we do, yeah, there's some oddball thing going on, and I'm not exactly sure what well, we're yeah, looking I, I at here. I haven't seen anything that looks like that before. So, yeah, I, I agree with uh, I agree with what Brian oh, said Oh, I've there. seen stuff like, that looks like that before, but like I was saying, it's, it's at harvest usually, time. It's at the end of the season when the plant's dying is is when you see leaves like that normally. But Oh, but I don't know. Like, like I say, I mean, a, pl- a leaf could be partially busted off. There could be insect feeding. We could have ALS herbicide damage. I mean, there are other things that cause purpling, but I can't really tell just by that one little picture. Nope, I can't either. Uh, thanks for the question, Josh. Really appreciate that. I got one from Kat. She said, I, uh, you guys are like uh, 
uh, sharing a lot of knowledge. Really like it. I could see schools busting the ag PhD out on rainy days. Well, hey, Kat, thank you for that. We really appreciate that. Uh, Kat says, I, I hope that when you talk about sometimes the worst case scenario for farmers, uh, that that's not common. I hope the the normal commercial operation knows most of the things that you're sharing. I'm just curious, what is your uh, opinion on the average knowledge level on most farm operations? Average knowledge level is very high. And I mean, it is a lot of work to be a farmer and you have to not only work hard, you have to be knowledgeable. But let's put it this way. There are a lot of things to know and there's a lot of new information every year. I mean, look at all the products that come out, the technologies. So it's hard to stay up on all that stuff. It's a lot of work if you want to be a farmer and be successful. All right, we're going to get back to uh, to more talk about sunflowers right after this. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind. Ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like waterhemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. 
Talking about sunflowers on today's Ag PhD radio show. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and uh, get a lot of information to share. Uh, to start off, we've got Clark Coleman with us. Uh, and uh, and Clark, uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, Clark is uh, National Sunflower Association president, and uh, he's got he's got so much knowledge to share. Uh, Clark, I, I know you've got some other guys lined up here too that that want to chat with us a little bit. Uh, what would you like to share? You get a lot of questions around the country. Why sunflowers, and how can farmers make them successful? Well, we're having our national uh, convention uh, uh, last uh, yesterday and the next couple of days here. Um, in Medora, North Dakota, and uh, you say, why sunflowers? I mean, uh, uh, man, it's a great rotation crop. Um, not everybody's real happy with uh, the soybean outlooks right now, and so, uh, you know, we're trying to promote sunflowers and, and uh, get it into more people's rotations and, and try to talk about some of the benefits of using sunflowers on ground to uh, to harvest, uh, you know, maybe some, uh, some fertilizers and stuff that go deeper than normal traditional crops, and uh, hey, you know, this this uh, last couple two or three days is the place you want to be if you want to know anything about sunflowers as far as crop insurance, uh, uh, agronomics, uh, chemicals, you name it, marketing. Uh, this is the place to be. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on with sunflowers. We've also got Bob Weagle on with us, uh, who's an industry rep on on the board with the research committee. And we think about research, Bob. There's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, we just earlier had Ryan Hunt on with FMC, and he said, "Man, we're looking at getting more products labeled to use in sunflowers because there's there's such a responsive crop." Uh, what what have you got coming, Bob? Or is there some new stuff coming this year or or coming in the near future? You may overlook the fact that wheat farmers that are rotating with a crop like sunflowers can um, utilize some really innovative weed resistance management strategies because there are uh, herbicide groupings, particularly the group 14s and group 15s, that are not very widely used in the wheat crop, but in fact are widely used in a crop like sunflowers. And when you combine those uh, pre-emerged products using group 14s and 15s, with conventional sunflower programs like Clearfield and or Express, you can utilize up to four different modes of action in one growing season on your sunflower crop. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. And we think about a lot of these areas are fighting weeds that are already resistant. And yeah, the Clearfield system adds stuff, Express Sun adds, but uh, we, we really need to do a good job and be proactive because we don't have so many post-emerge options out there. So I love that. The guys are, are really focusing on that pre-emerge program and setting themselves up for, for having a good start and, and also being really efficient with fertility. Uh, I've got Kevin Kevin Capistran on with us now as well, and he he's over in Minnesota. Uh, Kevin, when you think about sunflowers, what's happening in your area and uh, and what challenges are growers overcoming? I think the the biggest challenge is just getting the word out on how good a thing we got going right now. I mean, we're we're in the heart of where all your buyers are. Nobody hauls it a long ways when you're in Minnesota. Last year we had a record sunflower yield in the state. You know, the prices look better than most of the other crops, but yet most of the participation is by the existing producers putting in more acres, not additional producers coming and joining the party. And so in some ways, if, if we want to grow the industry, make it bigger, it's we got to get the good news out because it's not the fact that it's what you remember from 1980 when something didn't go right. It's it's almost like it's a completely different crop from what it was back then. Yeah, it sure is. You know, what what do you see the biggest hurdles for growers uh, starting to plant sunflowers if they haven't done so before? You know, 
I, a lot of guys rely on their crop consultant for information, and, and in a lot of cases, making sure those people that give you that information are up to speed on where everything's at. So if you, you, know, if you rely on them, make sure they know what they're talking about first, and if they're not going to get you the information. Sometimes you've got to go out and get it yourself. And so you know, maybe it's the neighbor that is having success with the crop. Maybe it's uh, you know, somebody else down the road. And so just you know, seeking out and finding that information as opposed to you know, what, what Dad talked about 35 years ago being, being the, the current situation. Yeah, you know, back to uh, Clark Coleman, when you think about drought tolerance, I, I know growing up uh, that was one thing we heard a lot about, that, wow, sunflowers can really tolerate drop, drought. How about, you know, in the situation that we've got this year, a lot of growers are, are still looking to put a crop in, and it's getting a little bit on the late side here, but we've had such a wet year, you know, are sunflowers a good choice in this season too? Well, you're not going to find a better crop that's going to perform for you uh, to the best of its ability uh, when you have to plant it late in the season like this. And the further south you go, uh, probably the better chance you have of having a very successful crop. Uh, you know, just in my own personal uh, situation, I, I've actually planted sunflowers as late as uh, July 7th because of a wireworm or a cutworm issue, and we just needed to replant. And uh, compared to the, the sunflowers I got planted at a normal time, I gave up about 500 pounds an acre, but I was still harvesting, you know, 16, 1,500 pound sunflowers. So they have the potential to really, uh, you know, get after it and, and produce a crop for you if Mother Nature, uh, you know, will cooperate, you know. And, and you talk about the drought, uh, you know, you get them in, get them going, and get the roots established, and, uh, and they, they'll hang on there. You know, they are a very drought-tolerant uh, plant. Got John Sandbach and with us, he's executive director for the National Sunflower Association. And John, where are all these sunflowers going? Because demand is there, and growers are certainly seeing there's uh, some positive benefits here with with oil and others. Well, you know, we've we've seen a really nice increase in in oil consumption here in the U.S. And about you know seventy eighty percent of the oil now that we produce here is consumed in the U.S. But you know, in export markets, when you look at those, Canada and Mexico by far are our two largest markets. And, you know, with the NAFTA agreement that we have in place and hopefully with the USMCA coming into play here soon, you know, we have duty-free access for all sunflower products in those markets. So they're just, you know, really has been really good, strong demand. And in fact, you know, when you look at our stocks level, we're one of the few crops that had lower stocks coming into this market year. We're down 45% from where we were last year. So the industry does need acres this year. We were hoping for about a you know, 10 to 15% increase. And in March, the intention showed about a 4%. So there, there's still room to grow and a lot more potential. You know, uh, back to, to Kevin, in Minnesota, what, what is the typical rotation and where do you put sunflowers in? For the guys that are struggling to get acres planted this year and, and are finally starting to be able to get into these fields, I would assume the corn ground or the wheat ground is the ideal spot? Yeah, I mean, we're almost always taking sun, you know, sunflowers going in place of soybeans in the rotation. We're following a grass crop, in our case, wheat. For some guys, it's corn. There's a few instances where um, I'm in the Red River Valley, so we've got some sugar beet ground. You can put it into that situation if you really want to test the drought tolerance on it. you got two big water users back-to-back. But, but generally, yeah, you're following a grass with a broadleaf crop is just the best place in the rotation for it. So how do you do the fertility then? Because coming after a grass crop that used up a lot of nitrogen, certainly we need a good dose of nitrogen to have a really good crop with sunflowers. Yeah, you know, the nitrogen response on it isn't huge. I mean, North Dakota, we just spent some money at the association to redo the fertilizer recommendations. And it's it's not old school recommendations where it's, 
you know, pounds times yield goal, I mean, you generally were finding that the response was, irregardless of the yield goal, a certain amount of N would, would just, could give you a 2,000-pound crop. It could also give you a 3,000-pound crop. All right, uh, we've got Wayne on with us now, and he's down in South Texas, and it's interesting, all the places where sunflowers are being grown. Wayne, uh, with disease issues down in your area, what what are the big challenges you've got, and, and what are you kind of curious about? We had a horrible problem with powdery mildew this year, and you know we put out a shot of tebuconazole with Prebathon when we did the head moth application, and this showed up about two weeks afterwards. And we and it had been dry since April 1st, so we didn't feel like conditions were right. And But it, it came in with a vengeance. Yeah, I'm you know, just the, curious what other products were out there or what some other people were doing to prevent this. Sure, sure. Uh, and I don't know which of you guys would like to take that one. Bob, is that right up your alley? Or, or, uh, or Kevin, what are you guys using for fungicides? We generally get enough seed-applied product to take care of most of our fungicide needs up front. I mean, most of our fungicide is coming in when you start worrying about rust or when you start, you know, thinking you can take care of pomopsis or head rot later in the season. Um, I've seen powdery in other crops, but uh, it hasn't really been a problem for us this far north, at least, in, uh, in sunflowers. Yeah, we see a lot of strobilia in use uh, to try and stop uh, powdery mildew. That's been... Uh, typical, but one of the things uh, that was brought up earlier is, man, there aren't there aren't a huge amount of products uh, labeled for that. Let's talk about that just a little bit more uh, right after the break. I want to say thanks to all of you guys who are joining us from the National Sunflower uh, Meetings. Really appreciate all the input from you as well. We'll be right back after this. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump, providing the ultimate protection. This wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Sound the frog horn. 
because now there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Introducing Froghorn Fungicide from UPI. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, contact your ag chemical dealer. Always read and follow label directions. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about sunflowers on today's show, and Wayne uh, from South Texas called in. And when I think about disease problems, you know, you look at uh, where Wayne's farming, it's a, it's a whole different challenge than uh, than where we're at, or we're talking with Kevin up in the Red River Valley of uh, Minnesota, North Dakota. It, it's, it's different. And when we look at something like powdery mildew, a lot of times we may just run a, a strobiliarin product like Headline, but... Uh, Brian, you brought up a good point. We were just talking a little bit over the break that you've got to rotate modes of action. We've got to get some different things out there. You know, maybe it's something like Luna Experience where you've got an SDHI uh, or Luna uh, pre-mixed with Tebuconazole. Because uh, I get it for for rust and many other diseases, tebuconazole is cheap and pretty effective. Uh, you could do that way. You could have uh, tebuconazole in a tank mix with something like Headline, for example. Um, we we see other products like uh, Vertisan uh, that are labeled as well. But but most of them are going to talk about a seven to fourteen day window where you're going to have to go back and retreat with another mode of action. Uh, it, I guess what's your normal plan, Wayne? Is it normally one shot? fungicide and you're good or is it something where you're back every couple of weeks spraying we depends on what we use for head moth when we were using uh bathroid or, or pyrethins we, we would do two applications but since sure. we've gone to uh prebathon we just did it one time now i did come back when we saw the problem i did use some headline on some stuff and tebuconazole on some other stuff and i None of it worked. Yeah, that that is a struggle. Brian, what do you see as the real keys here? I, I mean, obviously, coverage is going to be a big one to try and, and get this done, and, and uh, that, that no, isn't always, always easy. Yeah, I know, but it, it's always three things. It's coverage, timing, and then the product you're going to use. What we end up talking to a lot of guys about anymore, Wayne, is just putting two different fungicides together or buying a product that's got multiple modes of action. Uh, but, you know, Darren brings up a good point on this whole coverage thing. Since fungicides don't move very well at all in plants, we just have to have tremendous coverage out there. Now, you don't necessarily have to run 20 gallons of water, but you've got to have more water than normal, smaller spray droplets. A lot of guys obviously are using planes and helicopters and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, coverage is a big key. And then timing. 
And it's it, it's just it's hard because with a lot of these things, you're scouting, scouting, scouting. You don't see anything, and you go, well, I don't know, maybe we're okay. And then all of a sudden, you see a bunch of disease, and you go, uh oh, I I should have sprayed already. And so it it just becomes a, a real challenge. We end up with that in our crops as well. But uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I guess the, those are the things we would talk to you about. Is see on the timing what else you could do maybe there's a way to get a little better coverage and maybe just try some different fungicides and especially combinations of fungicides so you broaden the spectrum and hopefully you don't have as much resistance issues uh so i I mean those are usually my tips am i wasting my time going by air because i'm typically not a fan of fungicide by air no you're not wasting your time there are a lot of guys that do fungicide by air uh, whether it's sunflowers, corn, soybeans, uh, you know, we've we've sprayed fungicide by air for years in the late season on a lot of these different crops, and we've worked with a lot of farmers who've sprayed by air. So some people will swear by a plane as opposed to a helicopter, and others are vice versa. I personally, I don't know which one is better, but I will say I don't have a big problem going out there with a, with some type of air rig. We've seen good results out of that in the past. So just because you have to have it done that way doesn't mean you're not going to have success. Okay. I appreciate the help. You bet. Hey, good thanks luck. Thanks a lot, Wayne. Thank you. All right, Brian, get a get an insect question. We we're talking disease there for a little bit. Get an insect one. This is from Corey, and he's in Maryland. Uh, he said, I've got a produce farm. I'm raising tomatoes, and right now I'm really fighting Colorado potato beetles, and I can't seem to get rid of them. Uh, I had sprayed Mustang, Bathroid, uh, a generic Lambda product, all pyrethroids at full labeled rates. I'm just not getting them. What, what is it? going to take i'm knocking them off for a day or two but then they're right back is there something i could do with more residual or a better way to get them under control all right so you can look this up in your area and see which products are labeled but there are a number of different things that would be labeled on colorado colorado potato beetles in different chemistry families so we mentioned the pyrethroids those are all second generation pyrethroids that you talked about there And usually we have pretty good success, but the problem is very often with Colorado potato beetle, people need to spray multiple times. And any time you're going to spray multiple times, we like seeing a rotation with other insecticides. So here are just some of the ones that would be labeled. Uh, An abamectin type product, that's the active ingredient or insecticide class. Uh, Spinosad is a newer one. That's an insecticide uh, family. There's also some of these products that... uh, 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 would be a little bit different than that. You've got Asail, Platinum, Provado, Admire. They're all in a different chemical family. There's some insect growth regulators like Azotin. Um, let's see, you've also got uh, Seven is labeled. Uh, and even old Dicistan used to be labeled. I don't know if it still is today, but I'm just trying to say there are a lot of different products that would be labeled. One that I think is unfortunate that it's not labeled on tomatoes is Lorsban. So again, it's not labeled on tomatoes, but sometimes we will have good luck in other crops with Lorsban controlling Colorado potato beetles. But all I'm trying to say here is you still have a number of different options out there. So I would look for one of those other insecticides, and I might even consider tank mixing. So I have a couple different insecticides, so I have less chance for resistance building. All right, thanks for the for the question, Corey. And yeah, we get a lot of uh, a lot of 
questions about some of these other crops too, like you're talking about tomatoes today, and that's that's awesome. And and many of the things that we're talking about here on the show end up working no matter which crop we're talking about. And, you know, we get a lot of fertility questions. This one comes from Kevin in Southwest Missouri. He said, I'm thinking about trying some liquid products this year and, and I'm hearing about this salt index number. How big a deal is it? Is it something I should learn how to calculate on my farm? And are there different levels of safety depending on if I put it on foliar or soil applied? Yes to all that. <laughs> So the salt question is a little bit complicated in part because it makes so much difference all all the all the conditions you've got. So let's put it this way. The closer I am to the seed and the drier my environment, the more risk I've got. So if I'm further away, let's say I'm broadcasting fertilizer, for example, well, I've lessened the risk because I don't have as much close to the seed. If I get lots of rainfall, that overcomes a lot of the salt issue too. The other thing is you got to think about not just fertilizer. There are other things that have salt, like manure especially. That's uh, compost. I, I mean, you can get salt in other things. We've had it before in our farm where, okay, we only had a little area to put manure on. We had to get the manure out, overdid it. Too much salt, hurt the next crop. So, I mean, we have plenty of firsthand experience of doing it wrong. That's that's where we talk about a lot of these things and just some of the mistakes we've made on our farm. So usually what we're looking for is if you're going to go, let's say, in furrow with fertilizer, that's where we worry about it the most. Our general advice is keep the rate down. Blend it off with water. That helps basically safen it. And then use low-salt products. That's why we talk about agro-liquid and there are a bunch of other low-salt products out there that are available that are going to be much better than, say, or I should say much safer than 103040 in the infurrow type situation. Right, thanks for the question. Got one from Matt here, and he said, you were recently talking about biofuels on your show, and I enjoyed that. I'm in Indiana, and honestly, it's hard to find any biofuel blends at the stations. It seems like uh, our checkoff money may not be getting used right here as I'm seeing more biofuels offered in states west of Indiana. I'm wondering, do you ever see any advertising meant for the general public? Does most of the advertising just go to farmers and they're preaching to the choir? I'm just kind of curious what your take is on this. Yeah, there there certainly is not what I would consider lots of advertising out there. But, you know, it's, it, it's expensive. Advertising costs a lot of money. And where's the money going to come from? So hopefully the uh, biofuel producers can do well and they can invest more dollars in advertising. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot of good things with the biofuels. Obviously, much 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 safer for the environment, for the planet, for people than the what is considered fossil fuels. They aren't technically fossil fuels, but you look at oil, gas, diesel. Um, I'm we are very much in favor of seeing biodiesel, ethanol, anything that's produced from a crop. Hey, thanks for the for the question, Matt. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to our program. Really enjoyed visiting with all the guests we get to speak with today. So if you're one of those that called in, thank you so much. And also, thanks you thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>